Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Good show for you this week. We're going to continue our march through the other sports. We're going to dive into the NBA this week. I got a little crossover with my buddies over at the Sorry Sports Podcast, Sean Rowe, Tom Bikini. We're going to talk all things NBA, talk Knicks, talk Nets, get a little league-wide picture, dive into the world of basketball with these guys in just a bit. We're also going to do the pop culture week, do the WandaVision catch up because this show isn't getting good. You're getting close to the finale. Enjoy my buddy Nick Friday. We're going to recap episode eight, catch up on six and seven, get us set up for that finale next week. But we'll get it all started this week's opening tip. We're going to take a look at my thoughts on the locals right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. Here we go. All right, opening tip time here and talk about the NBA. And I'll be honest, long-time listeners of this podcast know that the NBA has not come up too often on this podcast. The NBA is just, you know, not my favorite sport. Part of it is because the local teams here have not really been good for too often. The Nets for a long time, you had the run in the early 2000s with Jason Kidd. You had the run with that failed attempt to get the KG Paul Pierce Nets going. Now they are a legitimate NBA title contender. And that's been amplified since they got James Harden. Now, as a Nets fan, the long run, you're definitely concerned about what you gave up to get him because you basically trade all your young assets and every draft pick you had. And you don't love the way Harden acted to get out of Houston. But from all we've been hearing, he's been a good teammate for the Nets. He's been more unselfish with the ball. He's been willing to run the point, which helps get Kyrie Irving some open shots on the outside. Offensively, this team, one of the most exciting teams in basketball. If you watch this team, especially when they're all healthy, and you have Kevin Durant, Irving, Harden all on the floor, they can do so many things. They recently had a trip out west. They played the whole Pacific Division on a road trip. That's the Lakers, Clippers, Suns, who've been improved with Chris Paul. They have the Warriors in there. Of course, you got the Kings. They swept that trip without Kevin Durant playing because he's been out with a hamstring injury, sitting out the All-Star game because of it. Very impressive run by Brooklyn. The team does have some issues to sort out, though, namely on defense. This group gives up far too many points to really get all the way in the postseason because... We've seen them give up 150 almost to the Washington Wizards. We've seen them struggle with bad teams. This is a problem. Sorting out this defense is important. They also have to figure out a post-presence down low because part of the James Harden trade, probably the biggest thing for the short term, was trading Jared Allen to Cleveland. And he was their clear best option as a rim protector. DeAndre Jordan has that role right now. He is not the same guy he used to be. They have to get some guys in here to help block shots. They've been sort of filling in with guys off the off the street. They brought Norvell Pell in. They brought some other guys in. They've been rotating Jeff Green at the five, but 
This is something you have to watch here, whether it's a trade, maybe pull Andre Drummond off the off the Cavaliers. Maybe you look for somebody on the buyout market. They need to get more rib protection. This is something that this is something that's helpful for them because the buyout guys, always these veterans are ring hunting. And they're going to say, you know what? Let me go to Brooklyn. I'll play a role. I'll play defense. I'll get my case a couple of shots a game. I'll block shots. I'll fit it in with this line. I have a chance to win a ring. They have a good shot, though, because the East is pretty wide open because they're really good. Philly's really good. Milwaukee still has Giannis Antetokounmpo, but the rest of that team has not been consistent this year. Four to, say, 12 in that in the East is also very tightly bought. It's a very mediocre East. So if there is ever a year for the Nets to get to the finals, it's this year. The more exciting thing, though, in my opinion, is the fact that the Knicks are good. And right now... Going into this year, I mean, I talked to Mike working off early in the season he, from The Athletic. He was like, hey, this year's a good year if you're getting development out of your young players, you know, your draft picks, look how they fit. You get improvement out R.J. Barrett. The playoffs are not even a thought at this point. Now, though, instead of being in the lottery lock, going for Kate Cunningham, you're looking at making the playoffs outright. Not even the play-in tournament where you get to play in the 7, 10, 8, 9 match to get in. They could avoid that entirely and get in the playoffs right now. Got to get credit to Tom Thibodeau, who I remember all the critics panned him and said, oh, this is a bad hire. Nobody wants it. He doesn't fit today's NBA. This group has done so much better under Thibodeau because he's taught them to play defense. Defense with the Knicks has never been the thing for them. They have not defended like this since the mid-90s. Now they are a really good defensive team. It's helped explain why they win. Julius Randle made the all-star team for the first time. He's been a different player. He's been a much more effective player shooting from the outside. He's been a leader on this team. They run the offense through him. He's even been point forward at times. He has been fine defensively. He's been a key player for them because going into this year, you figure, okay, second year of Julius Randle, you're going to buy the third year out, and we'll just see who we can spend it on for the agency. Now, he's going to be back. He's an important part of this team right now. The other exciting thing, the immersive manual quickly. He's been so much fun because this is a guy they drafted late in the first round. People are sort of scratching their heads saying, oh, my God, why'd you take him? Just another overrated Kentucky guy, and the next guy stopped the Kentucky Blies. He has been the one of the best rookies in the league, this island mellow ball. He has that floater game. It's a lot of fun to watch. He's instant energy off the bench. He's a good 3 and D guy. You don't know if he can be a long-term starter at the point. They've got to give him that shot eventually, but he's going to be a very important player for this team. The Derrick Rose trade, I know some of you rolled your eyeballs and they brought him back, but he's fitting much better here with Tom Thibodeau. He's been a key guy off the second unit. Good job there. R.J. Barrett, big improvement from year one to year two. You don't know if he's ever going to reach the height he had when he was talking about the potential first pick before the Zion broke out, but he's playing very well. He's improved his free throw shooting. He's getting to the basket more. If you get more improvement out of R.J., he's still got a chance to hit that ceiling. And this group plays hard every single night. This is going to be interesting here to see how the Knicks approach this because the second half schedule came out. It's a lot harder for them. They have a lot more games than contenders. The Knicks, though, I want to see here. I'm, I feel confident this front office gets it. They're not going to just throw all their chips in the middle of the table to get the next disgruntled veteran in the building. This is something that they... Screwed up the last time they had this sort of young, exciting team that was playing hard, just a bit off. They threw all their chips in for Mello. Did not work. This is a bit like sort of the young 
teams the Nets had in recent years, where you have you see the young pieces coming into the fold. You see that Emmanuel quickly is going to be something. You see that R.J. Barrett is going to be a useful player. You see that Mitchell Robinson can be a good starting center in the league. You see Julius Randle sort of stepping up. You get that young, exciting team together. It's going to be competitive. That's what you need to do. Build that roster up so maybe they get in the playoffs on their own, and then the next big star hits for you and says, you know what? I can be the piece that puts the Knicks over the top. Not, I have to come to New York and bring three friends and be at hope I can build the whole thing together. You can do that. You have a chance. There's something cooking here at the Knicks. If they get to the playoffs this year, huge success. And it'll be exciting to see what happens with them going forward. But we'll dive deeper into the NBA right after this when I'm joined by the guys from Sorry Sports. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Because it's basketball of Mr. Kirch's flow. We are back here on the podcast talking all about the NBA this week. Join me today, my buddies from the Sorry Sports Podcast. First up, Sean Rose here. Sean, how are you? Doing well, Mike. Thanks for having us on, man. Not a problem. Also here, his co-host, he's called himself the GOAT on Zoom, Tom Bacchino. Tom, how are you? Oh, what's up, man? Uh, you can just refer to me as the CEO. Okay. I, I feel like I have to reiterate that every time. So then why did you, why did you call yourself the CEO on the Zoom? Because uh, I'm also the GOAT. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. I will, I will not, I'll let you two decide internally who actually is the GOAT. I don't care enough. <laughs> Spoken <laughs> like a true beta. <laughs> yeah, and right now we're here, we're going to talk some NBA on the podcast. I know you guys did a big NBA blowout this week, so thanks for taking the extra time to talk more NBA with me. Of course, of course. I mean, Absolutely, man. NBA might be my favorite sport, so I'm always willing to talk it. Yeah, so you just say basketball is your favorite sport. You like to dribble up and down the court. Yeah, I guess I could say that. <laughs> I haven't played ball in a while, but definitely like watching it. Yeah, I definitely do too. I got to say, guys, as a Nick fan, this year's been a lot of fun for me because for once they're actually relevant. Yeah, they are. They're, they're a hell of a lot of fun to watch. I think that's that's my word that I'm going to use to describe them as fun. Um, Sean's a Nets fan, so... He's he's at another level compared to us, but right. he's had to suffer for a while, so maybe he's earned it. Yeah, well, we'll get we'll get to Sean's Nets in a minute because the Nets I know are on the NBA title contention level. We're sort of on the hey, it's fun. We might make the playoffs level. I think that's pretty cool. The Knicks are where yeah. the Nets were two years ago. I mean, it reminds me a lot of that 2019 net the 2018 2019 Nets team where. The vibes are good on the bench. There's an all-star representative for the first time in a long time. Uh, you know, the culture seems like it's changing. And after a lot of dark years, it, it seems like it's finally a destination where players might want to go. You finally have a legitimate coach. That's what happened to the Nets then. So I think there's a lot of parallels you can draw between the two situations. And, hey, playoff team for the first time in a long time is is nothing to be ashamed about. Uh, there's a lot of talk about tanking and whatnot heading into a season, but I think the Knicks are in a great spot right now, currently and for the future. Yeah, 
I think we got to start with that All-Stars is Julius Randle. I was, I'm happy he made the team because he's been a dominant offensive force this season. I saw the game against the Hawks and he hit the seven threes and put up for over 40 points. And Tom, I think it's incredible because beginning of this year, we were saying, okay, I was going to buy out Julius Randle's contract at the end of the year, get the, mon- the max money for the free agent slot. Now you start watching play this year and how he's fitting with the Stibidol offense. You're like, boy, like this guy's got to be a part of the long-term plan for now. Yeah, um, you hit the nail on the head there. I was guilty of that, and I've already apologized. Um, screaming at the beginning of the year about Julius Randle's stifling the rest of this team, taking away the young guys' minutes. Uh, we need to trade him for whatever we can get him for. But I've already apologized for it, done a complete 180. Um, he's having an incredible year. And, I mean, comps to some of the greats, you know. Right, Sean? Yeah, you said Julius Irving. You said Olajuwon <laughs> on our last podcast when mentioning him as an all-star. Um, no, he's had an unbelievable year, dude. I mean, he – Mike, I think it's got to be so fun watching him, right? Yeah. Like, I've, just le- leading this team. I love watching this team because in the past they were just so boring. It was like so many random guys who had no NBA future and – People forget Julius Randle only like 24, 25 years old, so he's still in his prime. He could still get better from this. Yeah, I think he's definitely a piece to hold on to. And the thing with the Knicks is you every year there's just you're waiting for the offseason and the last two big free agent times you you expected to get at least one of the guys. And then you come to realize that the Knicks weren't even in the conversation. So they're, they're, they seem to be doing it the right way, as Sean said, kind of like the Nets, where you're building from the bottom up and, and you're trying to change the – I hate the word because it's used way too often, but I think it fits here, the culture. Um, And that's what's going to get you those free agents is having a foundation and a good team, not just waving Madison Square Garden in everybody's face because, yeah, it's every away team's favorite place to play, but that's when they show up here twice a year, not every single game because the the front office was such such a joke. Yeah, I also think in terms of something I said before on the podcast with the Knicks is the problem they didn't realize for a while is that, yeah, playing at the Garden is cool. Yes, having all the money is cool. But if you're like, say, Kevin Durant like he was two years ago, and you saw that Nick roster that won 17 games, you could say, why am I going to go there? And even I can bring a buddy with me. Like, I'm going to have to do all the work on this team and not be able to win right away because I got to add peace around me. Whereas with the Nets, he's like, okay, this team won 40-something games. They made the playoffs. Like, I come up. I be the piece that puts them over the top. So... If the Knicks are going down that net path, they have a good chance to actually land a, a big free agent like that in a couple of years. Well, and also, too, is they are the New York Knicks. I mean, they, they do have – if the Brooklyn Nets can become attractive for, for free agents, there's no reason the Knicks can't. And part of why I think that C-word culture is so important to say, and, and I know, it, like Tom said, it is overused a, a quite a bit, but in this case, I think it's very appropriate, is – that really is what a lot of key free agents who, especially those who have already cemented themselves as all time greats or are very cemented in their careers, even after a couple championships, they don't want to go somewhere where they feel like the burden's a thousand percent on them. They want to go somewhere where they can hoop and play with, you know, teammates and friends that are of equal talent. And the Knicks haven't had that. And they don't want to deal with the nonsense like Dolan kicking you know, former Nick greats and fans out of the garden. So I think the fact that you bring in a worldwide West and you have Thibodeau that's bringing respect back to the team. I think all of that together is a big reason why they're here right now. Yeah. I think also it's a lot of fun as a Nick fan too, watching Emmanuel quickly, who if it were not for LaMelo ball, probably one of the favorites to win the rookie of the year award. And this is a guy, I remember when he got picked down in the twenties, it was like, 
oh, this is a waste. You're taking another Kentucky guy. You got to stop with the Kentucky nonsense. They can't play in the pros. And now, like, he's a cult favorite. He's got the floater going. Everybody loves watching him play. I think Tom quickly has really been a huge difference in this season. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I wasn't happy with the pick either. There was, there was a few guys I wanted to take as opposed to him, but he's playing big minutes. And, you know, aside from the fact that he's got the floater game and he's fearless and he can shoot the three, he he's experienced beyond his years and he always makes the right play. Um, and I think D Rose is really going to help those young guys out as well. He seems like he's at that point in his career. Tibbs loves him. So I, I'm, Super high on Quigley. I think he's the best point guard the Knicks have had since well, Clyde Frazier. That's oh my a, god, that's Mark a huge Jackson statement. Doesn't make that cut for you? No, Mark Jackson doesn't. Nor does Marbury <laughs> or Jay Kidd. Well, Jay Kidd began his <laughs> career when he came here. Also, yeah, I mean, exactly. And those guys, those guys weren't championship players. Clearly, Sean, right? <laughs> that's a little dig on uh, those kid net years, huh? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm really pleased with the way Quickly's played for you guys. And quite honestly, I think the Rose trade, like you said, it only, it only accentuates his talents because he doesn't have to be the guy. And he is actually playing. He, he has uh, his former assistant coach there uh, at Kentucky, who's now on the Knicks bench. And you've kind of got this whole Kentucky vibe going, which I think is great because that's where a lot of pros are coming out of. So I think his comfortability level is really high. And I think he's able to just play his game. And again, he's in a great situation where minutes aren't being taken away from him, but he's also not expected to put up 45 every night in order for them to win. So I think he's in a great spot. Yeah, I also don't think that people have thought that he would have been the guy to get the big rookie run ahead of Obi Toppin, and Obi had the injury, obviously. But even the minutes he's played, Obi looks like he can be a useful player in the pros. Yeah, Obi, uh, I mean, listen, the guy, maybe he'll make one or two all-star teams at the end of his career. Um, I don't want to put a cap on him as a good rotation guy. I think it could be a little bit better than that. But, I mean, they, they made the right moves this year with their picks. Um, Obi's going to be a guy that's around for a while just due to his explosiveness and his ability to stretch the floor. But yeah, Quigley, Quigley's been incredible. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. Sean, what do you think about what you've seen out of Obi Toppin so far? Yeah. I mean, he's obviously had his up and down so far this year with injuries and trying to get, well, that's more so what I mean, right? Like he, he comes in and early on he gets hurt. And so he's not really able to get into a rhythm. And we know Tibbs, he's only going to play about six or seven guys. So if you're not in that rotation, you know, it it takes a while to get into that, but he's playing some minutes now and he, he looks good. I mean, I, I I agree with Tom. I think he's going to be in the league for a long time and he's going to be a good player for a while. He may not be, unbelievable but if you look back 10 years from now and he's a 10-year pro and a guy that you know puts up serviceable numbers on good teams I think he does a lot of intangible things too to help teams win yeah he does I also think what's also phenomenal about this group is that they actually play defense I mean the way the Knicks were in the past baby I mean they play defense like they were actually social distancing before it was actually a proper thing to do in society (laughs) and now they're actually aggressive on that end. They close out. They rotate. They play defense so well. It makes such a big difference. I haven't seen a Knicks team play like defense like this since the mid-90s. I think Tibbs has had a tremendous impact on this team. Go back to the culture word. He's completely done a 180 on it. And, I mean, we all know if you go back, the Timberwolves were 
somewhat of an aberration just because I don't think Cat wanted to play any defense or anything to do with it, and that's why Jimmy Butler left eventually. Um, but if you look at those Bulls teams, that's that's the thing that they're known best for is grinding it out on every single possession and playing defense, and that's what Tibbs is known for ultimately. Yeah, Sean, any thoughts on Tibbs? Uh, Tom hit Tom hit the nail on the head, man. I mean, honestly, this is this is why you bring him in, and there obviously needed to be a change. There needed to be an accountability with this group, with this team, and it's a perfect mix of veterans who are trying to revive their careers. And, and young players who are trying to take that next step. And he's not going to let any of them coast. If you don't play defense and you don't play hard every night, you're not going to play. And he, there's no superstar on this team that is going to – Okay, relax. Is, is, <laughs> that's going to have a back and forth with kids, you know. So I think, it's, I think he was the perfect move at the time. Tom and I spoke about it at length. And this is a reflection of a Thibodeau coach team. They play hard, they play defense, and no team walking into MSG is going to have an easy time. Yeah, I think with Tibbs, you can also point to two guys digging big leaps under him this year, and his R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. Because last year, Mitchell Robinson couldn't stay on the floor because of all the fouls he was committing. Now, he, before he got hurt, he was actually staying on the floor. He wasn't blocking any shots, but he's actually not committing as many fouls and playing more of a true defensive presence down there. And, R.J. Barrett has gotten a lot more efficient as offensive player. He's a willing defender. I, I feel like he's done a good job getting more out of those two guys. Yeah, R.J. Barrett is a dog on defense. And then you're right about the Mitchell Robinson thing. Um, I, I think they taught him that he doesn't need to commit a foul attempting to block a shot. His his presence alone is going to alter shots. And he's done a great job with that, being able to stay in the game. And, and the other point on Tibbs is, he may wear out his welcome on superstar teams. Um, if the Knicks ever get to the Nets point, maybe they'll have to move on to another coach. But he's a perfect guy to build a foundation because all these young guys are going to respect him. They're going to listen to him. And the proof is right there. The Knicks, are, the Knicks are in the playoffs because of him and because of the culture that he's building. I keep saying the culture word. I'm sorry, guys. I'll, I'll try and cut it out. Now, in this in this case, though, I think you're a thousand percent right, right, Mike. Like you're watching all the games, you're finally able to see a team that you're proud of to watch on the floor, and it's a hallmark. I mean, they really take on that persona of of Thibodeau on the floor. Yeah, this is something else that Nick fans love because Nick fans love those ninety teams who really basically like smash you in the mouth, like play hard defense, like play this rugged brand basketball, and you're getting a version of that with with this team. It also is able to generate things offensively. It's a lot of fun. I do think it's interesting to see them. When we go into this year, I mean, I talked to Mike Workman off the athletic for the season. He was saying, hey, you know, our goal, if you're a Nick fantasy, your goal is going to be, let's see improve from the young guys. Shouldn't expect the playoffs. Maybe you're competing. But right now, I mean, they're in the playoffs clear of the play-in tournament, which right now I get their second half schedule is tough. But, like, if you're sitting there, you have to look at the E and say, boy, if we don't make at least the play-in, it's a disappointment. Let me ask you guys this, both as Nick fans. Is there any reason that you can't be better, even without a trade? I mean, obviously, if the other teams make a trade, sure. But right now, as the rosters currently stand, is there any reason that you guys can't be better than the Raptors or the Heat or the Bulls or the Hornets? I mean, look, they're they're in a play-in tournament right now at that seven seed because it's seven through ten. But I, I like my chances against – any any of those teams that you just mentioned in a in a series i mean the heat are obviously in shambles this year i think i think that a combination of injuries with the short turnaround of the season and covid has really killed their season they might have a run in them but 
I think that they could beat any of those teams that you mentioned outside of the top three in a series. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't bet on it, but I could definitely see it happening. I wouldn't count them out. Now, I think personally with me, I think with them, it's like if they don't at least make the play in, I think that's a disappointment considering the way they started the year. I get their schedule's harder the second half and they have some brutal road trips in there, but there's enough talent here where like they should give anybody outside of the top three a real run for their money in the in the playoffs. Couldn't agree more. I think I think a ten seed into that play in tournament is like the is the basement for us. Anything else, I'm gonna be really sad. Yeah, if they somehow miss, you hope you get the lottery luck and you end up with Kate Cunningham or one of these other top college guys. But you should not have to worry about this. You have to hope that maybe the Mavs pick ends up being that for you. I I, I totally agree, and it, it's it's refreshing to not to do a Knicks podcast without, or at least a segment of a podcast talking about the Knicks where it's not about tanking and what draft pick you're getting halfway through the season. Yeah. Cause right now we're not even thinking about the lottery. Think about what do you have to do to maintain the playoff position? Like what kind of trips you have? It's nice to actually have the focus be on the court and not staring at a college basketball game saying, Oh, I look, think you look good in orange and blue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of a team that's in the playoff, but well above the way the Knicks are, let's go to Sean's Brooklyn Nets. And I got to say, this whole season, we changed the James Harden trade. And Sean, I know you're a big net guy. When you saw the package they gave up, what was your immediate reaction to it? Yeah, uh, obviously it was sad to see Karras and, and Allen go. I, I could not have possibly cared less about Torian Prince and the draft picks because the Nets are hopefully never going to be in a position where those picks matter the, matter all that much. But, you know, Levert and, and Allen were big reasons for why the Nets are where they are. And But you know that, it's a superstar driven league. And in order to get superstars, you got to give up good players. And, and that's what they did, but I, it was well worth it. And I'm sure, you know, we'll talk extensively about what it's, what it's meant for this team and what, it, what the position is now for the Nets. But I, that was my initial reaction when I saw the move. Yeah. I saw the James Harden trade. I've seen like, I know it's not thrilling how he forced way out of Houston because obviously, you know, like his game is sort of a ball down an offensive game. But from what I've seen from when he's played in Brooklyn, he's been, more willing as a passer. He's been not as ball dominant there. He's been willing to play the point, which helped Kyrie out a little bit. I think it, they made, it's made them a more dynamic offense. A lot of fun to watch them. 100%. And as for the trade, I mean, giving up Allen was, in my opinion, stupid. They could really use him. And what did you guys get, Sean? What do you mean? What did you get for Allen in that, in that separate trade? Well, it was all all the teams were connected, so. But you didn't have to give him up. It, I think we did. I, I think from did. I think from what I got it was to get another asset to send to the Rockets, as I believe. Well, he yeah he he went over to Cleveland, but that was because the Nets didn't have enough on their own to send to Houston, so it was part of that Oladipo deal. Also, so I think all of those all of those moves were kind of together, and Cleveland, who was accumulating a couple of assets, you know, they, they really wanted Allen. Listen, I think, I, I don't think they should have given him up every way to get this deal done without that. But with that being said, you have to make that deal. And, and James Harden's con- completely changed his game. And this team is, I think I might, I think I might have to say it. This team may be the best and, and most diverse and, and toughest offensive team of all time. That's a big statement. Yeah, I mean, you can you could come at me with the Warriors, absolutely, but can you name three? You can you can you name three top, probably six scorers in the league? Two 
two. Uh, Kevin Durant's probably the best scoring forward of all time, and James Harden's probably a top four scoring guard of all time. And then Kyrie is the most coordinated guard finishing ever. Can you name, you know, you can't name another team like that. And these guys can pick and choose their spots as long as they keep playing together and they don't try and play hero ball. Even the Sixers, I don't see a team stopping this team from going to the finals. And at this point right now, watching how the Lakers are going to play, I don't know if we're going to talk about them later. I think they're the favorite. I don't want Sean to, I don't want Sean to get too giddy over there, but I think they're the favorite to win the championship. I think the thing you have to be encouraged about, Sean, is obviously when they went on that trip to the Pacific Division, played all five games without Kevin Durant, swept all five. I think that's the moment you got to say, wow, this team could really be special. We, don't, we did this without KD. Well, part of why I think the Harden move was so important and also what I was, I was, I was clamoring for it, as Tom knows, before it even happened. And the reason is, is I think part of the, the issue with Houston was he was so worn down by the, by the postseason after winning – so many games in the regular season on his own, basically for Houston that he just couldn't continue that pace up deep into the playoffs. And let's not forget that if they didn't run into the buzzsaw, that was the golden state warriors. There's a chance that Houston team could have won a title or two. Um, But the nets didn't have another guy in their roster with the flakiness of Kyrie with the Durant, not trying to push him too much. He's been sidelined with a hamstring. James Harden will play every single night and he can win you a game on his own like he did in Phoenix uh, a couple weeks ago. And the Nets didn't have another guy like that. And if you're all in already with Kyrie and KD, you might as well go absolutely all in. And, and I thought the move made sense from that perspective. He's amazing to watch. Yeah, he's a lot of fun to watch. The one thing you have to worry about, as a Net fan, I'm sure you are, is just like the fact that the defense of this group at times has been so abysmal. I mean, you had games you have almost 150 points to watch against Wizards. You struggle against some of the bottom division teams because the intensity just isn't there. I feel like that defense is probably the biggest issue they have. I think the defense is never going to be great with this team, but it might not have to be because to Tom's point before, Mike, it, it, we've never seen offensive firepower like this. I mean, they might give up 120, but they'll score 140 every night. And really what it, in the NBA was most important is being able to get stops late. And they have shown they can do that against the Clippers, against the Bucks, against other teams. They did kill the Magic the other night. So they're starting to beat up on those lesser teams again. Um, the defense is not great. And it's going to be quite an experiment to see how a team with this bad of defense can, can win. But really what it's about is nobody can stop them. And can they get one or two stops down the stretch? And they've proven they can do that so far, which is encouraging. I agree with you. And I think – Getting stops at the end is the only thing that really matters. They're going to be able to outscore any team, like Sean said. Um, they're ratcheting up the defense when it counts and getting stops when it matters. And then they also, they're also going to be in the buyout market. I, I can almost guarantee that they're going to have another six fouls on their team from a big man and maybe even a P.J. Tucker as well, which I think should get Nets fans excited because he's a perfect candidate for that. He can guard pretty much anybody on the floor and knock down a corner three, which is all that's going to be asked of him offensively. And, and he's a ferocious rebounder. Yeah. I think for sure the buy-in, the buyout mark has got to be like their go-to. I mean, if you're looking for like a sort of like a, like a rim protector there, I mean, the dreams, Andre Drummond, I don't know if they're going to get, I feel like Cleveland may actually be able to trade him and get something for him, but maybe you're getting like a JaVale McGee, maybe somebody in that weight class where you're saying, okay, here we go. Here's a guy who can, defend late down the stretch because we can't have DeAndre Jordan on the floor in the fourth quarter at this point in his career. So if we can get that guy late in the game, that will help. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, no, I was just going to say, especially when you're talking about who their matchups are probably going to be, which is going through Milwaukee with Giannis and and Philly with Embiid. So, Honestly, in crunch time, though, I think you're going to see a KD play the five. You very well might, or Jeff Green play the five and, and, and something like that. The guy that I have on my mind, in addition to JaVale McGee, which I don't think would take more than a, two seconds to get, is Blake Griffin. And I know people are going to kind of roll their eyes at that because we're thinking of Blake with Detroit. Well, if you can ask Blake to play 12 to 18 minutes a night, he can stretch the floor. He's a great passer. And the only issue I have with Drummond, although I would be ecstatic if the Nets got him, is is he bought into taking on that DeAndre Jordan role, which is rim running, rim protecting, and, hey, we're not running any plays for you. Just just kind of go after it on defense and, and on the boards because Blake Griffin at this point in his career doesn't have to do that, and JaVale McGee knows his role. So I think you, the last thing you want from this Nets team is to have somebody that's clogging up the middle. So that takes away from all the playmaking that the Nets have. So I think if you could get – a JaVale McGee and a Blake Griffin on the buyout market. I think that's really all the Nets need to do. Tom, Mike, I don't know how you guys feel about that. I feel they might need one one more wing defender. That'd be something else I would try to look at. I know they're talking about shopping Spencer Dinwiddie on the trade market to sort of see if they can, again, upgrade there. I think, like, you get one more, like, 3 and D wing on this team. Give you a little depth on that. I think that would help, too. Yeah, you could re-sign Roberson or Shumpert. They signed both of them back to 10-day contracts yesterday. You could keep one of them, guarantee one of their contracts to play that perimeter defense if you want. Yeah, I think that Yeah, I think Roberson's going to be the guy there. He's looked pretty good and he can knock down a corner 3 as well. Yeah, yeah I think so. I think I think we're pretty much all in agreement here. I think the upside for them is pretty much like they are top-tier NBA title contenders. I feel like especially this year when the East is so so down, there's only like really three really good teams in it. If they don't get there, it's a disappointment. I'm going to say two. I, I watch Milwaukee. I don't know what you guys think. I, I know they put up great regular season stats and whatnot. I, I just don't see it from this team. I, I don't put them in the same class as Philly and Brooklyn. I mean, the simple question you got to ask is either playing Philly or Brooklyn in a seven-game series, do you think that Milwaukee can hang with them? And my answer is no. I don't see Chris Middleton rising to the to the occasion, and I don't think Drew Holiday has enough. And you've seen they'll just build a wall against Giannis, and Coach Bud down there doesn't really seem to be able to draw anything up to, to, uh, to oppose that. I mean, the last two years, one year, fine. You didn't. You, maybe you didn't know it was coming, but two years in a row they build a wall against Giannis, and you can't figure it out. I don't see the Bucks making it past either the, the Philly or the Nets. Yeah, and two is you got to think about closing lineups, right? I mean, right now with Philly, you're closing with you've got shooting around Embiid and Simmons with Curry and Harris. I'd love a Kyle Lowry trade to Philly as well. Yes, he would He would make a huge difference, and he's a Nets killer. And then for the Nets right now, is your, your closing lineup is even if it is DeAndre, which it probably isn't going to be, but you still have Green or Brown with Durant, Harris, Kyrie, and Harden. I mean, Milwaukee just doesn't have the arsenal. I mean, do you really want DiVincenzo and Brooke Lopez and any of those guys closing out games for you? I, I certainly don't. I think the simple fact is name name your three best players and then name their three best players. I think I'm going to go with Durant, Harden, and, and Kyrie over Middleton, Holiday, and even Giannis. Agreed. 
Yeah, well, let's go with the Bucks for me because last the last couple of years have been down at the regular season and they sort of fell, fell, fell apart in the playoffs, lost in the bubble in the second round, lost to the Raptors in the conference finals the year before that. And this year, I mean, I don't know what it is then, but like something is missing with that team. I know they made the big Drew Holiday trade, try and get inject it worked to get Giannis signed the super supermax, keep him there long term, but like something just doesn't fit together. I don't know what it is. I've been trying I kept watched them a couple of times. I can't figure out what's missing with that team. They don't have a closer. They don't have a guy that you can get the ball to. I mean, Drew Holiday is a great player, excellent defender, and he can score the ball. But they don't have a guy that's going to be able to – we need a bucket with 15 seconds left to put the ball in the hole. Giannis is not that. I don't even think he's in the top 10 to do that. So they just do not have that guy that they can dump the ball into and, and to go get a bucket. And until they get that guy – and listen, they've given – they gave up a shit – Sorry, I know we can't curse <laughs> on this block. My bad. Um, they gave up a ton to get Drew Holiday. They don't even have it. So I think this team, you know what, long-term prediction and short-term prediction this year, I think they're going to lose to one of these two teams in the playoffs, whether it be the second round or the conference finals. And then long-term prediction, I think Giannis is probably going to leave in the next few years because they're not going to be able to get that second guy that's truly deserving of that to play alongside him. Yeah, I'm with you. It's Mike, it's, it's really interesting watching this team because, like Tom said, they don't have a closer. They also gave up a king's ransom for Drew Holiday, who's a great player in his own right, but he's not a transcendent game-changing guy. So – they also don't have the capital now to go out and acquire another really good player. They don't have the draft picks. They don't have the talent on the floor. And they're kind of pigeonholed into this weird situation where Tom and I have talked about it extensively on our pod. I don't think a player as good as Giannis is. I don't think a player of his mold can be the best player on a championship team in today's NBA. It's plain and simple. And it it doesn't even matter really how great he is. It's more or less, that's just, what the league is you, you build the wall around him and you say okay get as many two points as you want and we're going to make sure that your complimentary pieces can't can't beat us and and that's where milwaukee's going to fold yeah i feel like the problem with him is that he's never really developed that outside jump shot make himself a real threat where you can't just collapse on him as soon as he attacks the lane whereas like if he learned how to jump like de- make him become a more consistent outside shooter i feel like they'll become a much more dangerous team than they are right now because they do have the guys who can space around him but like Right now, all is okay. We'll just collapse on him when he comes in the lane. We don't have to worry about him beating us from the outside. I don't even think it's – I mean, I agree with you. Of course, everyone would love to see Giannis um, with an outside jump shot. Then that puts him into, you know, a, a different tier of player where we're talking top 10 player of all time if he can develop a 30-plus percent three-point shot. But the other problem is, is is the coaching. I mean, clearly it's not working. And if you could, if Giannis could just develop a low post game and they could work the ball through him there and kind of have Middleton and Holiday be primary ball handlers and that space the floor a little bit more, I think they'd be able to score the ball much more consistently than have Giannis take the ball up and just dribble as hard as he can into four guys standing at the free throw line, which is basically what happens on most crunch time possessions for them so I think I agree with you it would be nice to see him do that but they he doesn't he doesn't even need to jump to that I think if they just change their offensive game a little bit and work the ball through other people to get the ball to Giannis a little bit later in the shot clock they would be able to more efficiently score but the other point is I think 
like like we've already said, Middleton and Holiday are great number three players, but they are not number two players or guys that are going to be able to take the game into their own hands. And until they can get that, they're not going to win a title. Yeah, let's go to the other East contenders. Go to Philly. Because I'll admit they're a bit of a blind side for me because I've not seen much of the Sixers this year. So, like, obviously I know Embiid's having a breakout season, becoming one of the best, probably the best big men in the NBA right now, in my opinion. So, like, what do you think about Philly's chances here to get to the NBA Finals? I think they're good. Tom picked them, right, man, to before the season started to, to make the NBA Finals out of the East. I, I think this team is... First of all, they're unbeatable at home, even with no real home crowd advantage. They are they are relentlessly good at home. But I think that Doc, I don't think he's a great coach, but I think he's the perfect coach for this situation. And we finally get to see Embiid and Simmons coexist on a level that they're both bought into. And I think the biggest thing that they did this offseason was they committed themselves to surrounding those two superstars with outside shooting. And they did that. And Seth Curry and Danny Green, uh, Tobias Harris is more open now. You get rid of Horford, who was kind of clogging up the middle and didn't really have a space last year. Between the coaching and the ancillary pieces being a better fit than what they had in the past, this team is really, really good. And I think we're on a collision course for Brooklyn Philly. I I don't know who wins that series. I'm not as confident about the Nets because they have no answer for Embiid. Maybe it doesn't matter, but as long as they're healthy, Philly's one of the top three, four teams in the entire NBA. Yeah, I mean, I am a genius. I did pick them to go to the finals, but right now I do have have the Nets beating them in a a seven-game series because Embiid, the point is Embiid could get his 50 points, 50 whatever you want. It's just the Nets are going to be able to outscore everybody else. They're going to let him get that. And then you just need more out of the other players. Now, Ben Simmons, when Embiid was out, did drop 40. So he's definitely showing that if needed, he can score the basketball. I really like what this team's doing. Like Sean said, Harris is having a great year. He can create offense for himself or hit an open jumper and then just getting more shooting around them is really what's what's put this team at the next level and got them playing out of one seed in the East. Yeah. Do you think that anybody outside this top three can make a run in the East? Because I know like obviously the Celtics have talent they've underachieved, same for the Heat and same for the Raptors. But like do you think anybody would you be would you take the top three or the field for like a spot in the Eastern Conference Finals? Because anybody outside that big three is gonna get there. I'd take the top two. There's no big three, there's a big two, honestly. I want to touch on something, Mike, real fast, too, if I may, that Tom brought up in passing earlier about a possible Kyle Lowry trade to Philly. I think if I think if there's a way that they can somehow pry him from Toronto, they do become the team to beat in the East, regardless of what the Nets end up doing at the deadline or at the buyout market, because I think he are, he takes an already dynamic offense and makes him that more that much more potent. And he's a Nets killer. And he's playoff proven. Tom, you love the term battle tested, finals okay. battle tested. Uh, I don't think we should completely dismiss that. I think the next few weeks is going to be very telling for Toronto to see what they end up doing in Philly because they didn't go all in on Harden, even though I think that's a weird deal. And maybe upon another time we can talk about what went wrong there. But they have a lot of pieces, including Maxi and Thibault and a lot of draft picks to, to go out and make a huge move. If they get Lowry, I think that could that could change it. But yeah, I think it's really just the Nets and Philly. 
Yeah, let's go to the West for a little for a couple of minutes here. Let's go start with the Lakers. Obviously, like they for when everybody was healthy this year, they looked like oh my god, they got better from last year's title team. They had better role players. LeBron's still playing at MVP level. Anthony Davis has been a tremendous player down low. But like they sort of like have been kind of just you know coasting through the regular season a bit, in my opinion, because they're like okay, does this doesn't matter? AD's hurt. We'll let him get healthy and get to the finals. What have you thought about the Lakers so far? I think this AD injury isn't going away. I mean, I think that they're going to nurse it as much as they can, but AD's already one of the most injury-prone guys in the league. It seems like he comes up limping on every three possessions, Um, and and I don't think it's going away. And I still think the Lakers are going to be able to make it at the very least to the conference finals, but I don't think they're as much of a runaway favorite as they were with a healthy AD, LeBron playing at a most likely MVP level, and then those ancillary pieces playing pretty well. I think some of the other teams in the standings have have entered into the conversation as well. Yeah, the Lakers, to me, are still the team to beat in the West. Uh, obviously, the AD situation is touch and go, and we got to see how long he's going to be out or how compromised he is once he comes back, if he comes back. But to me, I still need to see more from Utah. I know they've been unbelievable this year, but the rest of the West, I, I watched the Clippers. There's still something wrong with them to me. I, I don't, I just don't think that they're the team that's coming out of the West and I can't go against LeBron. So I, the supporting cast with the Lakers is much better than it was last year and they were able to get there. So I'm going to still say it's the Lakers, even through this little rough patch that they've had with no AD. Yeah, he touched on the two other teams I think were interesting here. Utah, to me, is one that I'm fascinated by because this is one of those things in the NBA you don't see too often where it's basically the exact same cast of guys back year to year, no coaching change. All of a sudden, they seem to have just taken their games to another level like the Nuggets did a couple of years back. But those teams, I feel like, almost never take that final step and beat the superstars and get to the finals. Do you think there's anything different with Utah that could make them break that trend? Yeah, I think that they have a lot more continuity. Last year, Conley was trying to feel his way into a different team after being on Memphis for what seemed like 100 years. He's playing extremely efficiently this well. Was This year was a, was a borderline all-star. And then I think last year, I mean, they were the ones who set off the whole COVID thing. I mean, I don't think – I can honestly say I – I didn't take COVID as seriously, and I don't think anybody else did until Rudy Rudy Gobert got it. And it seems like he was the one who really set off this whole social distancing, um, you know, stay inside, all the quarantine thing. After that happened, the floodgates just straight up opened. And, I mean, him and Mitchell were not on good terms last year, and there just seems to be a lot more continuity. Not to mention um, Jordan Clarkson off the bench this year as the sixth man of the year. He's playing at a high level. This team just has a lot more continuity. And I think I think that they have a very good chance to make it to the conference finals. Depending on how the seeding goes, they may be able to avoid either the Lakers or the Clippers if it stays this way until the conference finals and the Lakers and the Clippers would have to play each other earlier. So I, I could see them going to the conference finals for sure, but I still had the Lakers as a slight favorite to go to the finals. McDonavich being healthy too after the wrist surgery is huge because he changes a lot. Ingles is a, is a really big playmaker for them. Uh, this team has the talent to do it. I just need to see it before I can anoint them as the team to beat in the West. Yeah, it's like for me, it's like my comp with them is still, I think, what happened with Denver a few years back when they had all these interesting pieces. They still have Nikola Jokic. They had all the, sh- the shooting outside. And then they get to the conference finals and they just get smoked by the Lakers. So, like, it's one of those things where it's like, I want to see Utah do it in a big spot against LeBron. Like, until then, the, I can't buy it. 
Yeah, they're kind of my West version of Milwaukee. Like, I need to see you do it. No, I don't care how good your regular season is. I need to see you do it in the playoffs against teams that are similar talent-wise in a best-of-seven series on a regular basis. And until they do that, I can't say that they're the team to beat or, or that the Lakers are, you know, suddenly underdogs. Yeah, the other one that caught my eye out West is obviously the Clippers. They make the coaching change. They Doc is out. Ty Lue is in. They're trying to sort of – you know, re- get redo the Clippers there. I feel like they've been quiet. I feel like last year all I heard about was, oh, we're taking back L.A. It's our town now. I feel like them being quiet and sort of worrying about what's going on on the court is helping them out a bit. For sure. I think this team was kind of thrown together into the bubble anyways. They didn't really know each other. Um, it, it was basically a brand new team from the year before. Um, and I think that Paul George is playing at a much higher level this year. Whether that translates into the playoffs, we're going to have to wait and see. That's my thing with them is I need to see Paul George do it when it actually matters. That's my only qualm with them because we obviously know Kawhi can get it done when it, when it needs to get done. Yeah, to me, I still have a lot of questions about them. I still don't look at a team that is – is this a team that in a best of seven is undoubtedly the best team early even even early in the playoffs and I don't know there's still something there with Paul George and Kawhi that I don't think is quite right I don't also at your guard at your guard position if you're going at him with Lou Williams and uh Pat Beverly I that really doesn't bring a lot of confidence out in me yeah exactly man I was just gonna you beat me to the point is I, I, I don't like their guard situation at all. I mean, you also have Reggie Jackson. I mean, Luke Kennard, I know he's not a guard, but they, they traded for him and spent $68 million on him, and he hardly plays. So I don't know what flexibility they have with assets or, or with anybody on their roster. Maybe you can trade no, a little Warriors. For, yeah, so they're, they're in a tough spot. This is kind of the team that they're going to go to war with, and I don't think it's good enough, honestly. I, I would definitely take Utah – the Lakers, I honestly, I know they haven't been great. I, I still might take Denver over them, and I still would probably, if, if they're fully healthy, I don't know about Phoenix, but fully healthy, I would take Portland over them too. I do think it is thing with some of the, with the West. Obviously, you got like your big three up top, and then there's a lot of options below that, sort of getting that fourth spot for the Cop semifinals. Look at the panel of the matchups because, as you said, Phoenix, very exciting. Chris Paul's and a lot to help this team build on its run the ball when they went 8 0 and get into position to. Basically, they're the four seed right now in the West, and I feel like they can maintain at least a top eight spot based on where they're playing. I think it'd be a lot of fun to see if the world is going to get into the play-in tournament, see Zion get into the playoff spotlight. That'd be fun, too. One of the weirdest rosters in the league. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, the Pelicans have kind of figured it out, playing the ball through Zion and letting Lonzo kind of be an off-the-ball type player and getting Steven Adams out of the paint. Finally, Stan Van Gundy decided to wake up and, and smell the roses. And then, what about the Spurs, boys? They're still in this. Yeah, all hail Popovich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you, when you have Pop, you always have a shot of, of being a playoff team. And it, but I they don't have enough firepower for me. I think they're they're a first-round playoff team. And, and hey, good for them. But um, I, don't, I can't see them beating any of those other teams in the best. Seven. No, not at all. Not at all. I don't think they're a championship contender. Honestly, my top teams are probably the Lakers, Jazz, and then the Nuggets too. They're they they have a run in them. The Nuggets, yeah. And we've seen Murray when it's most important in the playoffs, he puts up huge numbers. 
yeah, the Nuggets feel like one of those teams who are just coasting through the regular season, too. I know they had, like, I think they had some issues with the stuff going on. But, I mean, I think that this is sort of a team where they made the conference final last year, and they're like, man, we're so far away from this. All we got to do is just get in the playoffs, and then we'll just turn and flip the switch and be on. I feel like that's sort of what's going on over there. I agree. And they got a move or two in them, too. Yeah, I think. Yeah, they've got a lot of capital. Plus, you had Nikola Jokic, who's probably the most fascinating big man in the NBA to watch play. So I think that's always entertaining. That one of the most fascinating players alone. Yeah. He's having a great year. Yeah, it's definitely been a lot of fun. I've been more into the NBA this year. Before, yeah. before I let you guys go, obviously you had the All-Star game coming up here this weekend. Did you feel it was necessary, and are you looking forward to it? Necessary is that's a that's an interesting word. Um, I was anti All Star game just because of what's going on in the world right now. COVID is still uh, a, a major presence in everyone's lives. I understood why though. Um, the NBA needs to make some money, and like Sean said, Turner is in Atlanta. This is going to be a massive weekend for them. Um, necessary, probably not. Um, I, I was very much against it, especially the way they went about it. Um, the NBA has kind of jerked the players around uh, since the bubble, since the Lakers won the title, saying, oh, it's going to be a three to four month layoff. Then they come back in, what, eight, six, eight weeks. And then they, they one of their one of their um, one of their basically what they said was, you know, we're not going to have the all star game. You guys are going to have 12 days off. And then they turn around and say, no, we're playing the all-star game as a money grab. So the way they went about it was kind of messed up, but I, I still think it'll be fun. And I think most of the players are actually going to go. Yeah. I echo everything Tom said. I mean, we've talked about it on our podcast. I can't really talk this morning, as you can hear. It, it's a struggle for you, man. It's all right. It's <laughs> um, but yeah, Mike, I, I think it's a tough situation to be in. Uh, and I agree with Tom from the standpoint of, I think they should have just been a little bit more transparent and honest with the players off the bat. And if you used it as a, Hey, we're not going to plan an all-star game, but we'd like to have one. And if health and safety protocols are working and the league's going well, you know, this is obviously something that, that we'd like to be able to do. Uh, and the, I think the players feel a little, I think they feel a little, uh, I don't know, been out of shape about it because, the league said there's not going to be one. And now all of a sudden there is one. So I think the league could have handled it better, but they did get authorization from Chris Paul, who's the president of the players association. And he agreed to have one. So I guess if you get Chris Paul to sign off on it, everything's all good. Um, There's not going to be any fanfare. There's no parties. There's nothing like that. Um, So I I think at the end of the day, it's a, it's a fine situation as long as everybody gets out of there and just be careful of magic city. Cause uh, I don't want to hear any stories (laughs) coming out of it. Yeah, we don't. We don't, we don't. You will, bro. I'm sure you will. <laughs> I'm and sure. And it's will. funny because it's going to be your. It's going to be your players on the Nets. That, that it's going to be Harden. Sports. Yeah, Harden's going to match. He he's going to be. Yeah, he's going to be buying everything down there. <laughs> yeah, I think the way that the I can understand where the players come from. With right now, we have ridiculous COVID restrictions on the road, where it's like you can't leave your hotel room without permission, and then they're saying it's not safe to do all these things, but you want people from around the league to fly down to one state, have an All Star game, risk an outbreak. It makes no sense to me, but. I think one thing they're doing wrong with this, I feel like if this is going to be just basically a made-for-TV event, I don't think they care about the 2,000 fans that they're going to have in the arena down there, but if it's going to be made-for-TV, you're going to do the, all the skill stuff like before the game at halftime with the dunk contest. Like, You need to try and like come up with a way to get like some of these big guys in these things and like maybe for the dunk contest, maybe say, hey, like Zion, like we're going to donate to your 
your preferred charity if you participate in the dunk contest? Can you do this? Not gonna happen, dude. I, I I wish that was the case too, but there's too much at stake, and there's these teams are treating these guys as if they are absolute gold. And if if God forbid Zion got hurt trying to entertain people on a made for TV event with a dunk, and the Pelicans fall out of the playoffs, they're just not gonna do it. I think that that ship has unfortunately sailed. Yeah, that's a problem, in my opinion, because it the dunk does not made for TV event, and like, yes, it's cool Obi Toppin's going, but like, this event has lost a lot of his luster because there's not star power in it ever anymore. Right. Yeah, we're kind of seeing that with the home run derby go that way too in baseball. Like, some of the guys will do it once, and that's it. You know, the home run derby, though, you have more options for like stars though, because like you'll have like your top guy. Like, I'm sure this year Pete Alonso will go defend his title this year. I'm pretty confident about that. But like, you're talking like the NBA is like three or four guys you want to see do it will never do it because they're like oh I don't want to embarrass myself yeah Tom how do you feel about that I mean it sucks I agree with you guys but I don't think there's anything that's going to change it I think it started with LeBron never doing it because pre-LeBron all the stars did it I mean Kobe did it and won it at 18 LeBron um, MJ did it all the big guys did it but changing of the guard and business decisions have been made and I don't think we're going back on that. That's why I thought tying to charity be the way to get the big guys in it because you can say, Oh, I'm doing it for a good cause where it's supposed to like, Oh, I'm just doing it to help the NBA get paid. On that premise, but I don't think it's enough to get them in there because they're just going to donate to their charities anyways. I mean, LeBron's built like 20 schools, so I don't think he really cares about a minuscule million dollars towards his charity. He'll find it somewhere else. Yeah. That's- yeah. That's true, and I think it's a good point. I just called the million dollars minuscule. Can you guys believe that? <laughs> well, for I like, can when you're talking about LeBron. Yeah, true. Yeah, well, they live in a different <laughs> stratosphere than the rest of us. 100%. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. I just want everybody to know, a million dollars is not minuscule to me. It has not been lost on me. I mean, <laughs> That's good to know. You still have your, uh, you still have your humility, buddy. I mean, these are the same, <laughs> these are the same league where all the players are complaining when they first got to the bubble last year about the food was not to their standards, so. Right. Yeah, listen, the NBA, these players are used to being treated like gold and, and royalty. That and food did look what? like it sucked, though. What's that? That food did look like it sucked. Yeah, they were kind of like those weird square meals that you would get at like a cafeteria in middle school. Like, not ideal. But, but yeah, I mean, these guys are used to having everything at their disposal. And it's a, it's a weird situation to, to be in. Um, I think that all of them have learned – a lot from the bubble situation and from COVID and this all-star game is going to be, it'll be a very interesting experiment to see if teams come out of the second half with health and safety protocols and and suspended games or players out of it. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. Hopefully not too bad. I want to thank both of you guys for coming on before I let you go. I can follow you guys. Ultimately keep up with your podcast. Um. Our podcast is the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. I believe you can find that anywhere. And then our website is sorrysports.com. Sorry, guys. I'm really fucking tired. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. Stop swearing on his pod, man. My bad. I didn't mean to come in here and just kind of take over. Um, And then you can follow us on Instagram at sorry sports, uh, sorry underscore sports, and follow us on Twitter at sorry sports. Johnny, you you have anything to plug? As you can see, he likes to take over the CEO role. Um, no, that's that's really it, man. Uh, really appreciate you having me on, have both of us on, and and being able to talk some NBA. We we love doing it.
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I don't do the NBA too often, but it's fun doing it with you guys. I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, thank you. All right. That's that's sorry, sports guys. Sean Rowe, Tom Bacchino talking NBA. Up next, I'm going to get into the world of WandaVision, get ready for the finale with Nick Frietta right after this. Right, we are back here on the podcast talking about the latest few episodes of WandaVision. The finale is coming up next week. It's been a hell of a ride. Join me today. We've seen him on the podcast lately talking about some Star Wars and then season of the Sky Guys. Talk about season one, season two coming up soon. But today we're talking WandaVision with Nick Friada. Nick, how are you? Doing well. Uh, very happy to be on for something non-Star Wars related. So it's exciting and uh, ready to get into it. Yeah, I have to say, this show has probably been the biggest surprise out of 2021 so far. Because, I mean, when you, you know, like, when this they announced all the shows, like, oh, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Loki, you saw WandaVision, you're like, eh, okay, do we need this? Yeah. Turns out we did need it. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely how, you know, it's definitely the least, uh, it's definitely the least, like, um, anticipated show of the bunch. And it's been great so far. I don't think anyone really dislikes it. I've never heard anyone say they don't like it. No, I feel like if you've tuned into it, like, you're really, like, in from the jump, and they get you from the second. You know, it's like, I think the short episodes help, and no, it's, like, only, like, 35, 40 minutes an episode. We have nine of them, and I know it's going to change for Falcon Winter Soldier. There's going to be, like, six of those, probably closer an hour, but I think these work very well with the format. I talk about one to five on the podcast, right? Sandro's the pop culture correspondent here, and we got to catch up today. Six, seven, eight gets ready for the finale, so what do you think about the... So let's start with six and seven, because that's Eight, we were recording on the day eight came out, so let's catch up people on six and seven. What are your big takeaways on those? Um, you know, obviously there was that, the, the whole thing, you know, for me the biggest, obviously the, the big reveal of uh, Agnes or Agatha, as we know her, you know, that was the big takeaway. And then also the, the as they call him in the show, I find, I like what they call him, the vision instead of vision. I like yeah. when they call him the vision, but when the vision tried to leave and you saw that he couldn't survive in there, then those are the two most important aspects of the uh of what of, of the last couple episodes and um i like them a lot and i gotta say i think i think i've seen it on the internet that people are not thrilled with episode eight i think so far that's my favorite one i thought it was great yeah i'm right there with you on eight let's let's put the spoiler warning up so you can dive deeper into eight with that and again this is if you have not seen through episode eight yet Stop the podcast. Go watch the episodes come back. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled in about five seconds. Okay, I'm going to save the big one for the end here, but they did a hell of a job going through Wanda's backstory in episode eight. Yeah, it was it was great. I I, I think a lot of this, again, I saw this on the internet. A lot of people didn't like that. People were like, we didn't advance at all. Like, we start we we pretty much ended this episode where we ended last episode but i think that was important background important information that was good to not tell us in the beginning i mean if they show if they if this show was in chronological and that was the beginning of the show i feel like it'd be nowhere near as good there was a nice mystery the first couple episodes there on 
what was happening and all that. And now that it's answered now, as opposed to being answered in episode one or two, that would have made the show really weird. So I just, I, I think they did such a good job with the backstory and showing how she grew up and whatnot and showing how, why she has these obsession with like sitcoms and whatnot and how, and why the show was structured that way. Yeah. I thought that was all good. I think in terms of response to the critics online, I will say this. We ended episode seven with that big musical fit intro about how it's Agatha all along. We had to sort of explore like how much this is actually Agatha Harkness. How much of this is her doing versus how much is Wanda's doing. And I thought it was a clever way that they gave us, you know, in the beginning of the episode, like her backstory with the Salem witch trials and how she was a witch and she ended up killing her whole coven. And she basically came to Westview after Wanda set herself up to say like, this is weird magic going on. I want to figure out how she did this. So I thought it was a clever way to not make her the complete like bad guy here. So I'm like, I'm not great, but I want to pick up this trick that Wanda has. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know anyone who knows everything about Marvel comics. There's way too many of them to know all of it. The way I do, like when we talk about like star Wars, I consider myself like pretty much as much knowledge as you can have, but when it comes, so I, you know, when, I, when they announced, you know, she was not agonist, she was agonist, so along I look I you know, I did what anyone would do I said all right well who is Agatha I look her up a little bit you know what I mean and it says that throughout the history of Marvel she kind of serves as like Wanda's like mentor yeah. not necessarily like a villain so I'm looking at this as a she may be the villain in the show right now but I don't think she's like this big the big bad in the show no I don't think so either and we saw basically she's like hey like I want to figure out how you did this and how it's like I've been a source a sorceress for about 300 years 400 years right. and like I can't do what you're doing which is you built this whole ultimate reality you've given everybody new personality so we start going through Wanda's life sort of figure out what happened here and I did think it was cool to get some of the key moments here we saw finally the moments you talk about in Avengers Age of Ultron when she when her family is killed and we see the Stark bomb not go off and cool callback to the first episode commercial when you had the toaster blinking from Stark is blinking the same way the bomb does. I also thought it was interesting that at that point, like Agnes has a new theory about Wanda's powers here. She seems to suggest that like Wanda had these abilities all along and that she sort of unconsciously cast a spell to prevent the bomb from going off. So I thought that was like a whole instant can of worms for the Marvel universe as a whole. Yeah, and another thing that I picked up on that I, and maybe some people have picked up on it the whole time, but I guess I never really put two and two together. When you see the whole story of um, Agatha, we a lot of us lose sight of the fact that even though it's Wanda, it's Scarlet Witch. She is a witch. Like I, you know, the fact that these are the same. It's the same thing. She's a witch. She's a witch. We we lose sight of that because we know her as Elizabeth Olsen. We know her as wanda like the redhead girl like we lose sight of the fact that she's a witch like like we see in like childhood like cartoons and whatnot like riding a broom and all that that's what she is at the end of the day so you see this similarities and like when you're watching the opening scene there it's like are you a witch i'm sitting there like oh i guess this girl's a witch and then i go wait wanda's a witch like you know what i mean like we kind of lose sight of that because we're getting to know the character on a personal level yeah, I think that makes some sense. I also thought it was interesting her point about the powers because we had previously been led to believe in Age of Ultron that oh, like the Mind Stone and like in the Scepter, like and the Reality Stone gave them the powers, and now it's sort of like okay, she had these and she was born with these, and right. the exposure of the Infinity Stone sort of brought them out. So it feels like, in a way, in my opinion, Marvel's opened that little back door so they can sneak all the mutants in here and say, oh, they've been in here all along, we just haven't found them yet. That's that's the dream. I mean, that's the, when they signed that contract. So bring in fox 
That's the first thing that a lot of people on a lot of people's minds was, does that mean X-Men's going to be part of the MCU or Deadpool and so on and so forth? Fantastic Four, all them. Yep, they're going to be. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, eventually. How they going to? Well, more so, I mean, is not are they going to be? Is how they're going to work them in and like this looking like how it's going to be. Yeah, well, you brought up Deadpool. Deadpool's the easiest one ever. You can just drop out a portal somewhere. You have to define his way in this universe. It, it fits mm-hmm. his whole shtick. Yeah, and another thing I wanted to to to, <clears throat> to say is, um, you know, I noticed <clears throat> in I forgot if it was episode six or episode seven, but you have Vision out walking around the outskirts of the town, and he sees everything's on autopilot. Yeah, and <clears throat> that reminds me a lot. It was actually perfectly thought of. That's so similar to like when you're playing a video game. So imagine you're playing Grand Theft Auto and you're up on the top of a, a building and you look out into the distance in that building, you see cars moving, but they're not really there. So if you were to, let's say, parachute over to there, the same car wouldn't be there. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's yeah. almost as if like it's a low res texture and it's, and when you get closer, it renders in. So that's similar, essentially the same situation. The closer you are to Wanda... It's real, the player character in a video game. The farther you get away, it's on autopilot. It's like a low-res texture where the person is just in the car sitting there like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely get that sense. I also want to touch on the thing you brought up earlier. Is like, we definitely, we finally got an answer for why the sitcom thing is popping up. Turned out that it's sort of like Wanda's comfort food as a kid. It's like her dad brought home, they used to bootleg all the American sitcom DVDs. and she. Right. She's a big fan of the Dick Van Dyke show. She's watched Malcolm in the Middle at some point in her life. She's watched a bunch of the other ones. And we started to see, like, these are her influences for the Westview universe she's creating. She's sort of, like, living through them. And we, as we find out later, through the scene with Vision, like, right after she joins the Avengers, that this is just sort of her way of dealing with her grief. Right, yeah. One of them was uh, Modern Family, too. I think one of the more recent episodes. But that was cool to see, like, because a lot of this show, like I mentioned earlier, was just thrown at you at first everyone's just like what's going on what's going on as time goes on it's more it's explained as opposed to a show where it's like they tell you all the stuff introduce you to the characters get you up to speed and then start moving with the story it was kind of backwards the story went on and then they're like well you're probably wondering what's going on and they kind of fill you in like there was a big revelation i believe episode four when they showed you that wanda was controlling this stuff and it's like oh this makes sense now and then you you see the guy go in with the the, the the B suit yep. in, in the first, I mean, you first see like, what is this? What's going on? It makes sense as you go on later in the show. And I think the same thing happened with like showing her past and saying, okay, this is why she made the universe the way she did. Yeah. I think the most interesting conversation, the whole episode was her conversation with vision in, in the Avenger in Avengers headquarters, where they're talking about grief and vision says like, what is grief? But to, 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 he basically says something like, what is this? What is grief but not the continuation of love? I feel like that's sort of like the message that they're trying to send with this show, like with just exploring the idea of grief. We see a little bit with, on Monica Rambo's character, which she's trying to process that she woke up five years later and her mom has died. And I think the sort of the explanation of grief sort of become the underlying theme of this show that has not really gotten publicized till about now. Yeah, I definitely think so. I wish they showed a little bit more of Wanda and Vision in the movies. They kind of just... I mean, to be fair, they were only in like three movies together and two of them, they did show the, the the relationship. It's like Civil War, they were in together and they were just people. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we're in Infinity War and they're together and then an Endgame, he's not Endgame, but you see what I'm saying? In Infinity War, like they're together kind of thing. And it's just like, well, how did that happen? Like that's the first thing on my mind was how that can happen. And I told you this before, I believe off the air, 
I thought for the first like episode or two of this show that it took place between Civil War and Infinity War because I was like, oh, this is how they get together kind of thing. Yeah. And then at the end, they end up in wherever they were in Infinity War. I think it was like Sweden. Yeah. But no, this is, is not. So I just wish they showed a little bit more of that in the movie. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me of Star Wars. How I, I'm always saying the same thing when we have these podcast discussions on the Sky Guys. It's I wish they showed more of this in the movie. And that's why I like the shows. They expand on the universes in any universe. They just they expand and everything gets better. Yeah, this they is give you more information. This is also something you would never see as a movie because you're not going to put a movie out there with Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany as your leads in Marvel and say, I don't think the characters are strong enough to hold their leads as a movie. But as a TV show, right. they're fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're close. They're good characters. They're good actors, the actresses. But they would need someone else in there to be the lead and then they could be the secondary character. Sure, but it, it's, like you said, it's perfect for a TV show. It is. And we also got some more backstory from Juan, including the... Meeting at S.W.O.R.D. headquarters, we found out that Hayward was lying about because Hayward claimed that Wanda came in, stole the body, left, and sort of built this world with the body. And we found out, we saw the footage that she showed, that he showed Monica Randall her breaking the glass and coming down. Then she realizes he's not there, and she leaves. And at that point, we'll touch on that again in the post credit scene, but I did think it was a nice way to get to her. We get to her car. She finds the deed from Vision where he was planning to, he bought them a house, a plot of land in Western New Jersey, which is where she ends up. She realizes what she could have had. That's when the grief starts. And we see she turns the whole town into the Westview Wanda world. We see that she actually manifests a vision, which explains why last week that vision was falling apart when he le tries to leave the bubble and go into the real world. So I think it was a very, very like crazy moment when you finally see all the company like, oh, this is what happens. And you see the real life versions of Deborah Jar Rupp's character. You see real life version of Vision's coworkers. All that stuff sort of comes together nicely in the end. Yeah, and, and like you said, I think the big reveal there is that Hayward was lying. And, I mean, I can see his side in reality. All he's trying to do is protect everybody and protect S.W.O.R.D. He's not like, he doesn't have like some evil plan where he, like, he, he thinks Wanda's up to no good and he wants to protect people. I, I do think, at the end of the day, he will be the main villain in the show or at least one of the villains in the show, not the main villain. But I think in, in this exact situation, I can see where he's coming from at least, which is, I gotta say, Marvel does a good job with that. A lot of the villains in Marvel, Thanos comes right away into my head is when you hear what they say, it's like, oh yeah, actually that's a pretty good point. Like they don't, they're not just evil for the sake of being evil. They're just like, like for no reason at all, like Palpatine in episode nine, when it didn't make any sense. Like they have some sort of reasoning for being bad, and I guess that that makes it a little more relatable. It's good to be able to relate to a villain too. Like when you go to a movie and you see the villain just like, I'm gonna destroy the world. Like you're, the main why? character would be like, well, why? What, yeah. what, you know what I mean? Like at least this guy has some sort of reason behind it. And I thought it was great, yeah. Like seeing her go to the town Westview and then seeing her get you know angry and just creating the world. That was that was you know it, it it's like full circle. It is full circle because right back to where we started the show. And I do think you're a good point with the Marvel villains. I don't know if we're going to get that much with Hayward where we sort of see like the full extent of his point of view. But like you brought up like Marvel movies, they of late down the stretch, they've had some good villains. Like Infinity War Thanos, don't count Endgame Thanos. It's a completely different entity. I did right. not like what they yeah. did to Endgame Thanos because I thought that was like a complete regression of what the character was. And like Killmonger and Black Panther is another perfect example. They gave you a very sympathetic villain where you can see where he's coming from and why he is the way he is. I think. Yeah, and if they were not introduced as the villains, if you just introduced it from a 
neutral point of view, some people would side with that person. Yeah, I think they would. And Hayward, as we find out, we're going to leave at Wanda alone because the end of the episode, Wanda basically sees that Agatha has her kids. He's holding them hostage because he wants Wanda to teach her how she became a Scarlet Witch. We get the name drop finally. We have the reveal that she created all this life on her own. And we don't know what that means to the twins because the twins were created in the fictional world. I don't know if she, they can survive escaping Westview. But we get the reveal that Hayward did, still has the Vision body. They somehow reanimated it as White Vision where he has no color. We basically learned, I know in the college talk about he's like a sort of a cyborg version, no emotions attached compared to the real vision. And I feel like this is our back door. We're going to get a fight between Wanda and this vision, and then somehow she's going to get his personality into the white vision robot. Yeah, I, I think that's it's going to be, that's what we're going to see next episode. It's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, on terms of my prediction on what's going to happen, I don't really know. That's, I think that's what's great. I, you know, um, as you mentioned, something's going to happen with, you know, we still have the other vision, you know, the vision she made so they can, they can probably battle it out a little bit and then Wanda will get involved and Agatha will be there. So I, you really can go any, it can go in any direction. I, the only thing I know for sure is that Wanda's not going to die. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. We know that <laughs> pretty much. much all I know. That's pretty much all I know. I mean, are we at all shocked that we we have a, another vision flowing around the world? Because I feel like they did not want to get, let go of Paul Bettany, and this is a easy way to bring him back into the MCU. Yeah, you know, I actually read something about him that before he was asked to do the role of Vision, when he was at the time just Jarvis, the voice for Jarvis for for um, for Tony Stark, he was kind of getting I don't want to say tired of acting. He was losing a lot of. He wasn't getting. He wasn't. No, 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 no. Not his side. He was. He was losing a lot of roles. Like he wasn't getting roles. He was. He wasn't getting work, and he, he was. His acting career looked like it was coming to an end. And I read an article basically said that Marvel or whoever called. I guess Marvel Studios called him up and asked him to portray Vision, like the live action version of Jarvis, like an in character person. And he said as a joke, he's like. He's like, I'm not happy about that because I used to show up for two days and leave with a he said he, he quoted it as a, a bag of money he'd go yeah. home with and now he has to be there for multiple days. And I think him doing that really like rejuvenated his career. He got a role in, in solo. He's been in some other things that I've seen. So that's it was good for him, obviously, to be in that character. Cause he went from the voice actor who was like looking like his career would be over to getting a you know, like you're basically getting restarted and they don't want to get rid of him, you could tell, as you mentioned. So it's good for the future of his character too. And the actor. Yeah, the other dangling plot point we have, it's not it's not addressed this episode, was the post-credit scene from episode seven where Monica Rambo gets confronted by fake Pietro. And I still want to find out how exactly she created him because I don't know if it's sort of a thing, like maybe it's like a Wonder Woman 1984 situation where where Ag- Agatha sort of like corrupted, like somebody who lives in the town just made them fake Pietro or if it's completely a manifestation. So how that plays out, because you know Monica ends up showing up for this final fight somehow. Yeah, it was a little odd that a lot of the characters. I mean, it wasn't odd. We, you know, based on what we talked about the episode, it was not odd. But, but I'm gonna use the word anyway, odd, because I can't think of another word. But it's a little odd that the a lot of the characters in the show are just not in this episode. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it focuses so much on Wanda's past. Yeah, it was literally. I mean, if you look at the end credits, there's only three main characters credited. Four main characters credited, and one was Deborah Jo Rupp showing up for like 30 seconds as her non-WandaVision version of the character. We had Paul Bettany, 
Elizabeth Olsen and Catherine Hahn. Those are the three who were driving yep. most of this episode. And it was visually. And I, and, I, and I gotta say this. Um, so I, I really don't know about like the comics in terms of like history. So when they said, Oh, here's your name. Here's the neighbor, Agnes. I know some people personally who were like, she's the bad guy. That's the witch. And like, I didn't know that watching the first couple episodes. I had no idea, but I, I want to say when, when it comes to TV shows, if you have a character who comes on to a show, usually this takes place after the first season. But if you come, if a character comes on to a show and it's an actor that you recognize, they're going to have a big role. Yeah. They're not just going to be background characters. This perfect example is in, in the flash TV show. They brought in the guy who plays, um, Oh, yeah, this is embarrassing, but I don't know Harry Potter well. What's the guy? The guy's name? Not Harry Potter. The Malf- Malfoy. If I'm saying yeah, that right. Uh, yeah, Tom Fenton. They bring him in as a character, and I recognize him from the movies. I'm like, hey, he's not going to be a small character. He ended up being a huge character, and and they played him off as a small character in the beginning. Isn't same with um, the one who plays Ka- Catherine Hahn. You don't, you don't bring yeah, her, you don't, you don't I, bring her to be the wacky neighbor. Right. I see her in a lot of things. She was in. Off the top of my head, you know, Step Brothers. She's in Parks and Recreation a lot. But she's she's in some things. She's not just coming in to be a background character, like like Vision's coworkers. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially because like like she always gets like the last spot in the crisis. You know, it's always some somebody who's gonna be a big role in the show. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like in, in a lot of shows that it they'll go through the whole credits and then at the end they'll mention like the big actor like an always sunny in Philadelphia and so all the actors who they are. And then it says, and Danny DeVito is Frank Reynolds. Like this. And we also have, you know, don't, don't forget we have Danny DeVito here. Yeah. You know, that's similar to her role here. Yeah. It definitely feels like that. And I do think it's going to be fun. The finale looking forward to covering it next week on the podcast, but I also think it's going to be a good job sort of setting up the, character for an arc here giving Wanda a little backstory because she's supposed to be in the next appearance for her is going to be in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness so you wonder here like after all this development we've seen from Wanda for the past eight episodes of the show going to be nine we've gotten an arc from her and they've said it's not required reading that you can skip WandaVision watch the movie and she'll be there but I think it's a good backstory sort of cue her up for an interesting role in that film so I wonder you know based on their comment I'm assuming the answer is no but I wonder if Doctor, Doctor Strange makes an appearance. Yeah, I would. That would be awesome. You know, Marvel fans love their connections. They yeah. really do. I saw a, a Reddit post about WandaVision and 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 um and um not WandaVision, sorry, Endgame and Doctor Strange, and it shows a picture of someone, you know, one of the Mystic Arts guys in the background, and it's the same guy in Endgame who comes out of the portal, and it's like the attention to detail in Marvel is so great. And then one of the top comments on that was somebody said, I went for a, an audition for an extra at a DC movie. You know, I forgot. Yeah. He didn't mention which movie, but he said, they, they just said, whatever, you know, we're really easygoing here. Like at Marvel, that doesn't work though. At Marvel, they, they want to make sure that like people will recognize it because they want to stay consistent and like continuity is more important at Marvel than it is here. For here, we're just making sure that you fit the part and you look okay in the back. And that's so true. And Marvel has that where every little if you were in five seconds of a movie if you're the little boy from iron man uh, three you're gonna be an end game you know like like that's that's crazy they put the same actor back like they do that kind of thing so i wouldn't be surprised if they threw in somebody that we know in this last episode like dr strange maybe, maybe even just a post-credit scene just to show like now will we have another season of wandavision before the movie i don't think so so then maybe you bring it in right away you bring strange into the post credit scene or something. I don't know if even something small, like 
I need your help. You know, something little like that. That's entirely possible. I also feel like it's possible that maybe this post credit scene is a tease for Falcon Winter Soldier because that's the next thing they have coming out. So, Yeah, that comes out. I I believe we have a week in between. They originally told us that we did not have a week in between, but now we do. Yeah, there is a week in between. WandaVision ends March 5th. The 12th, we have one of those, like, I know you've got the the Legends. If he's doing the YouTube mashup for Falcon, Winter Soldier, and whoever else they want to. They also have a behind-the-scenes making of WandaVision special, sort of like how the Mandalorian had their Disney plus Disney gallery thing for season two. They have one of those yeah, for WandaVision. Not sure if you watched those, by the way, the Disney gallery for Mando. I did. Um, so the season two one was good, but the season one one especially was fantastic. Yeah, season one had eight episodes. It would give you like little yeah, different things in each I loved, episode. I loved that season one one. That was fantastic. Season two was good too, but season one one was really great. Yeah, well, season two, I felt they would have done more, but COVID, I felt like it's kind of like, okay, well, here's what we have. Let's slap it all together in one episode. So Yeah. Yeah, I feel something. I think the WandaVision finale here, I think we're going to get like a setup. I'm probably going to tee up Falcon Winter Soldier, get get the audience and say, hey, don't drop your subscription. You're going to have new Marvel in two weeks. So I feel like that's going to be the, the teaser there. I also think, I don't know if you saw this interview t- earlier this week, they talked to Kevin Feige about some things, and they are asked him directly, are you going to have a second season of WandaVision? He's talking how big a hit it is. And he said, honestly, we don't know because like this is something where the story has to be broken a certain way and we can do this for certain shows like some shows will plan out multiple seasons this one we had an arc planned and given the fact that we have certain movies going on i just don't think that we're going to have a clear cut like here's wandavision season two coming in 2022 i don't think they're going to do that well here you can call me a complainer or a negative nancy whatever you want but that's the difference in marvel and or should i say marvel and lucasfilm lucasfilm says oh my God, there's money in this. Let's keep making seasons until there's no more seasons to be made until we've milked this thing dry. You, you hear exactly what he said right there. What you, what you just quoted. We got to see if the story's there. They're not just going to make something because they can make it and it'll be successful commercially. Like, you know what I mean? They are financially, they want to make something because they want to make it good. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like, one example I can think of right away for one that's coming on the line. It's like Hawkeye. This is the Shivi show. Like I could see, them doing season two without Jeremy Renner and having it just be the hey, the Kate Bishop version of the character headline of season two of, of Hawkeye. But right now, what you have with WandaVision is, okay, it's such a unique format. If you don't have a story, don't force it. So this is sort of more like mm-hmm. the Watchmen model on HBO where they say, we have nine great episodes. We don't want to make another one just for the sake of making another one. So we're going to call it here. If we come back to maybe five years, we have better vision, but we're not going to do anything right now. Yeah, I mean... Think about it. Think about it like a business. You know, if you put out something, sure you'll make money, but if you taint your product, then it then it halts it there. Yeah. If you stop when it's right, you can come back at the right time. You can move somewhere, especially with Marvel. They're never gonna it's not like Marvel's ending. You know what I mean? Like they could stop WandaVision and make so many other things and make other things better because they didn't make another WandaVision. Yeah. And also we've They've also said that they're committed to the episodic weekly release. I think it makes a lot of sense to them because they're in the news every single week now with, oh, what happened on WandaVision this week? We had a whole week of Agatha all along videos means being made on the internet. We had like off some moments of like like Jimmy Woo having spotlights on social media. We had Kat Dennings' Darcy get spotlights on social media. We've had all these great moments and like that's something, not something that happens on a, on a binge show because you have, oh, for a weekend then it's gone. Yeah, I really, I completely agree with you, but I really wish more people agreed with me and you at this. 
Because yeah. the amount of people that I see out there who are like, oh, I'm just going to wait till it's over and binge the whole thing or or like, I don't really like to watch. I'll watch like three at a time because I can't just watch one episode. Like, I, what, what happened to us as people? Like, we used to sit around the TV and wait Monday night for a TV show or Tuesday night or Sunday night, whatever it was on. And now the like the, the as streaming kind of thing like you can't even just you can't even do that anymore like it, people have to watch it all right away like I know so many people who waited for Mando to end completely and then just binge season well not completely or there will be a third season but they just binge season one and two together and be like all right I'm caught up now like in a weekend like that, that, how's that fun like I don't understand like I enjoy, like the way we're talking about this now that that's what makes these shows great to me is that we can discuss it between episodes. What's going to happen? Are we going to see Dr. Strange next week at all? Are the visions going to fight each other next week? How's Monica getting involved? Like that's important stuff. That's, that's the beauty of television to me. That's, you know, that's what, when you're into something, not just watch it in a weekend. Oh yeah. Vision, yeah. Oh, Dr. Strange was there. Turns out he was like on Friday morning. I'm thinking about it on a Sunday night. I know the answer. Like that's not, that's, that's, that's not fun. I don't understand. I don't understand how people enjoy that. I have a hard time watching a lot of, these Netflix shows because of that. Yes. Stranger yeah. Things is, I think is the one that has a big problem with this because this is one of those things where like it's eight episodes. You're sort of, you, everybody wants to watch it the first day. So you have to like, if you're not watching it in the first two, three days, like you're way behind everybody else in the world in terms of like discussing right. it. And, and you of course you can watch it at your own speed and you can stay away from social media, but it's not as fun as being involved with everybody at the same time. You know, Stranger Things was a weekly thing after the, whatever it was, like the seventh episode of the first season when you find out where the, the kid's name was Will, right? Yeah. Little kid. You find out where Will was. It's all over the internet. Oh, my God, Will was here. Will was here. What's going to happen next? You know, this and that. Now it's the whole season's gone in one day. One day, really. If you don't watch it the first day, someone's ahead of you. Yeah. Somebody's somebody's probably woke up at 3 a.m. and watched it, watched all the way in. Yeah. And by the time you wake up, they're like, oh, spoils are over the internet. Yeah, it's just I just don't understand how what, – what, the world has come to i know this and, and we're in we're i hate to say it but me and you are in the minority with this yeah. most people are that way yeah because netflix rewired people say oh like i want it now i can get it all now i don't need to wait for an episode to come out like i, I want my instant satisfaction if i can watch all eight episodes of the season right now and have a complete story and okay what's next as opposed to i don't i don't, I don't know much about like tv when it comes with like business and like in, in terms of like money and whatnot but I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't this model, the Disney Plus model, if the show's popular enough like Mando and WandaVision have, doesn't it make them more money? You would think so, because I think the thing was when Netflix came out, this is House of Cards, the first example of we're going to give you the whole first season of House of Cards when Netflix launches. So that was sort of a way to differentiate and say, hey, like, we're giving you something quality. You can do it all at your speed. You can do it all in one day. You can do it over a week. You can do it over like once a week for 13 weeks. It's up to you, so... Now with people, everybody has this whole binge model where now going back, it's sort of like what's old is new again, where you can say, okay, like now, like if I put a great episode every week, it gives people more reason to hold on to the subscription because they can't just watch like the whole season of Mando and check out. Yeah. And I, I think I've told you this before, maybe off the air, I'm not sure, but what I want Disney plus to do, I, I think they could do this too. I, I don't see any reason why not. I want them to have basically a channel. So if you ever if you ever seen the WWE network, they have the same model of Disney as in they have your homepage. You can look for past WrestleManias, past pay-per-views, Monday Night Raws, whatever. You can look at all that stuff the same way Disney has Star Wars movies, TV shows, Marvel. 
but then they also have a live section which yeah. is something that's on now and typically if you look at that it's just something random like they'll randomly play wrestlemania from 2002 but when something new is on it's live on the network and that would be a great idea like have one division run let's just say i know friday seems to be their day personally it's a bad day let's say it was thursday thursday at eight have o'clock. One, thursday at eight o'clock one division airs and as soon as it's over at you know, 845 or whatever, it moves to the section of WandaVision and it's there and you can watch it whenever you want. I think that'd be great because then people can watch it at the same time. Like when you watch, you know, sometimes you watch like the Super Bowl or whatever it may be, like a big like, event live on TV. Like you watch- That excitement of like knowing you, everyone's watching when you're watching. Like when you watch, like like for me, a show like that was Lost. You watched Lost back in the day when everybody was watching it at eight o'clock on a right. Wednesday or like nine o'clock on a Wednesday. You're like, oh my God, this happened. You're like, oh my God, Michael shot Analysia and Libby and the whole world was like going going crazy. Where, right, and it's there as soon as it's over. It's there for you to watch it at your own speed. Yeah, and like right, like if you had that, and right now they drop at three in the morning on Friday mornings because it's basically yeah. noon Pacific. And like, unless you're like a night at work overnight or you're like a super dedicated fan who's going to set an alarm, wake up at 3 a.m., you're not watching it live when it first drops. So it'd be cool like, yeah. if you had that dedicated, it, like, okay, here's our Wednesday, 8 o'clock. We're going to live. It's sort of like YouTube does with the YouTube livers, and they premiere right. it and have the video going as it goes. Exactly. And then do it here. Say, okay, WandaVision comes out this time uh, live, and you have to watch it at our speed. And then when – it's done, like you said, just drop it into the WandaVision streaming section. You can watch it whenever you want. Yeah, I think the only issue that, now that I'm thinking about it is you have to favor a time zone that way. Yeah. And I think that's a huge dagger. Probably, you, can't just say, yeah. you can't just say U.S. East because then what about people in, in England? Too bad. Yeah. Someone in China. Sorry. You know, whatever, you know, whatever the time difference is. I think it's like 13 hours or whatever it is. I have no idea. I think it's less, actually. I think 13 is Japan, but you know, I think that's the issue with it, but I think that's such a good idea. It's such a it would be so exciting to watch, you know, Luke Skywalker return at the same time that other people are. And you could do that by having your friends over to watch it or whatever, sure. But knowing that everyone else is watching it at the same time you are makes it really exciting. Another good example that Game of Thrones, the final season, because everyone like on Sunday nights when Game of Thrones is airing, you had to stay off Twitter if you did not want to be spoiled because everybody was talking about it. Actually, Game of Thrones did that exact thing. It it was on, and the the minute after it was over, it was on. Then it was HBO Go. Now it's HBO Max, but it, it was on. You can even watch it on HBO Go if, if you wanted to. I don't know who in the world would do this, but the, I think the episode started at nine o'clock. Am I wrong about yes, that? Yes, it was. It was nine o'clock on Sundays. Yeah, nine o'clock on Sundays. If you wanted to, you could start it at nine o'clock and fast forward to the end. They allowed that, so I was—I I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think there's anyone who did that. There's no reason why you're watching if you're going to fast forward. But you could have done that, and I think that's just cool. Like I remember, it was on for everybody, and as soon as it was over, you could watch it. And I watched all those live, but I guess I didn't have to. Yeah, you, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, the show, that show, the story was just so good. You were sort of looking at it like, okay, like I don't want to miss anything. I don't need. And if you got to the end of that without understanding the context of how you got there, you, a lot of times you end up very confused. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know how you feel, but the last season was similar to episode nine of Star Wars for me. But <laughs> I, That's what I've heard. I, I'm not a big Throner, so. Oh, you're not? Okay. But, yeah. I've, I, I, was... I've, I, I know enough Throners that they said that, that the last season was a disaster. Yeah, I tried. So I, I didn't watch the show when it first came. After, in like season five or so, I caught up and I loved it and I got really invested in the universe. I, I, I bought the books. I've read like one of them, not, not really gotten into them that much, but I had like a 
a textbook. Our good friend Mike Pagan lent it, lent it to me. It was a textbook that had like history of Westeros, which was the world of Game of Thrones. And I like brushed up on my knowledge of it and I got really knowledgeable on it. And then that last season happened and it just killed my interest completely. I have zero desire to go back and watch that show. Zero. Because I it completely destroyed it. You know what you know what that happened to me with? Season nine of How I Met Your Mother ruined my love of that show. It was such I think, a bad I think we've ending. talked about that. I it, think we've talked about that before. Yeah, it's literally I used to I had the DVD. I used to watch go back watching episodes. If I found it on like a like call USA network, something like that, I would have I have to say, Oh, I'll check it out. I've never attempted to go back and watch that show again after the finale aired because they ruined the show so much. That show at least you can watch an episode and it's not like like you can't just watch a random episode of Game of Thrones. It doesn't like make sense. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's such a story driven show. At least you can watch an episode of How I Met Your Mother, like an older episode, let's say like Season like four. I think my favorite episode yeah. is when um, Barney has that phone that won't stop ringing yep. because he uh, put it at the Super Bowl with a sign. Yep. Yes, but you can just you can watch that and any laughs that you had back then you could still have now. But in Game of Thrones, when you're watching it, like they're like they're mentioning why so and so is important, and you say to yourself, "No, it's not," because I saw this finale and it's yeah. not important at all. Yeah, absolutely. And two quick Marvel notes before we go. Number one, they announced that Loki's coming out on June eleventh. So we have six episode run of this show. So we're having a nice little break here. It feels like that sort of hints to you that they're still going to try and keep Black Widow on the schedule for the movies. I don't know how they're going to do that considering, you know, around around here, there's like nothing open right now movie-wise. So it feels like a very risky play here because I feel the longer you wait on the on the Black Widow, the further you get away from the source tier because this is a movie that's set in between Civil War and Infinity War. So I feel like the further away you're getting from that, the less interest you're going to have from the general audience. Yeah, that's really sucks. I wish we could have saw that movie a year ago. But, yeah. you know, what's going on with this world. But I got to say, you touched on Loki, and I am the most excited for Loki of any Disney Plus Marvel-related show. I love that character. Love the actor. I cannot wait. I thought he was fantastic and you know any any of the four movies that he did especially ragnarok i just like i i know this is a different technically a different character of loki it's the one from endgame who got away but but i just i i think loki is such a fantastic character and such a fantastic actor that uh tom edelson is yeah yeah basically getting loki at the stage of his development of the original avengers without any of the character only had from the following movie so now it's gonna see him hells to play a different version of him developing a different yeah so no fake dying door yeah. Dark World. Yeah. The less we have to reference Dark World, the better. We also got the Spider-Man uh, 3 title, No Way Home. This is a terrible title, man. I don't know what they were doing. It was not, I, like, with all the title leaks and stuff, was yeah. that because of what they said in that trailer, that they were afraid, he, as a joke, like, he's going to ruin it? Is that, like, that's a point? I don't understand why they were doing all these I, different I, fake titles. I, I think it's a running gag that... He, that uh, Tom Holland is notoriously bad at keeping secrets, and he accidentally like leaks stuff from event from Avengers Endgame and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so you know what? Like, we'll have some fun with this. Then we're just gonna drop the title. But No Way Home is a very, very strange title. Yeah, um, maybe. Just looking at the titles, you know, we have Far From Home or Homecoming first, then Far From Home. Uh, yeah, think about like think about the title for a second. Like Homecoming, he's home he's in high school at the time yeah. you know you, you know far from home he's literally far away from his home right yep and maybe no way home means something with 
how he's trapped outside of this universe, like a multiverse situation. Yeah. And it's also Maybe. interesting that Dr. Strange is supposed to appear in this movie because now he's sort of being the Tony Stark role figure here for Tom Holland, where he's sort of like the veteran Avenger coming in there. And his movie's after Spider-Man 3, so right. maybe, maybe we're teeing Doctor Strange up there. I mean, I, the amount of people that I have seen rumored to be in this film is... <laughs> is the list is unbelievable. Tobey Maguire, Garfield, basically, Jamie Foxx, anyone if, who's ever been in a superhero movie is rumored to be in this movie. Basically, if you have been in a Spider-Man movie in any iteration of Sony, you are rumored to have a cameo in this movie, at the least. Yeah, and honestly, I love Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movies, so I would yeah. love to see that. Yeah, I had no desire, though, to get Jamie Foxx back. We did not need him. No, I actually didn't see the um, Garfield Spider-Mans. I never saw them. I, I don't know if you recommend them. I never went to see them, though. Do not bother with the second one. The second one is probably the one of the worst superhero movies I've ever seen. Oh, okay. But, yeah, I just didn't see them. I I, I don't know. I was, I loved the Tobey Maguire movies. Like, I canceled. Like, I really pissed off. And then when the other ones came out, I was like, I don't want to see this. And then the other one, they brought, like, part of the MCU. So I just, like, basically had to see it and yeah. i loved it. and i and i like tom holland as spider-man I, I mean, he's, he's funny I, I like i like the whole cast i have there whatever his friend's name is i don't know what ned is the yeah. character I remember the actor but he's a funny uh funny actor yeah they did a good job with that nick thanks for all the time i really appreciate it. it was a lot of fun and we'll see you soon for sky guys yep sky guys coming up in a couple of weeks so stay on the horn for that all right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Tom Bacchino and Sean Rowe from the Sorry Sports Podcast. A lot of fun talking to them about the NBA, catching up on all the basketball news. It's been a fun season in the NBA. It's also fun for a, as a Knicks fan to actually have basketball at Route 4 again and actually feel like, you know what, this team could go to the playoffs. It got some fun here. That was a lot of fun. So I want to thank Nick Friar for hopping on, doing a deep dive into the last couple episodes of WandaVision, setting us up for the finale next week. It'll be a lot of fun there. Remember more good stuff like this podcast including my look at college basketball, what you've missed over the first couple months of the season because we are officially in March. The tournament is coming. We are a couple weeks away from that. If you want to catch up and give you some key storylines to, to know, check out the blog over at justthenthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star rating as well in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips, on YouTube if you want any real conversations on the episode. So if you want to check out my chat with the Sorry Sports Guys, if you want to check out the chat with Nick about WandaVision, that's going to be on the YouTube page. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. Coming up next week on the podcast, time to start a run of college basketball show. Start on the Big East Tournament. We'll do the WandaVision finale, do some more stuff. Until then, we have everything to the Magic Fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.